You're listening to the Party in My Plants podcast. And as depression is having a freaking field day in this here year, this episode is a hug. Welcome to the Party in My Plants podcast, where I make healthy living as fun as a party. So you'll, you know, actually want to do it and then actually feel, look, and live your best. I'm your host, Talia Pollock. Now let's get this party started. Pardon the interruption, but this is a sorry, not sorry situation because my interruption is to tell you about one of my favorite plant products on the planet, Four Sigmatic Mushrooms. I'm already so hooked on their magic mushrooms of many varieties. I love their hot teas that make lion's mane, chaga, reishi, and cordyceps taste great. And I love their lattes like matcha, chai, and golden milk. But I'm here to hopefully get you inspired to try their coffees since they're so much smarter for your body than non-Four Sigmatic coffees. To their organic coffee, they add lion's mane mushrooms, whose claim to fame is supporting our brain, and they add chaga, which is wonderful for our oh-so-cherished immune system. Because you listen to this podcast, thank you so much for that, by the way, you get to save 15% off any and all Four Sigmatic shroomy stuff you want by going to their site, foursigmatic.com, and using code party in my plants. Or you can just type into your little type box for F-O-U-R sigmatic S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C dot com slash party in my plants for the automatic 15% off. Woohoo! My friend, Dr. Lauren Cook, used to be best known as the sunny girl. And let me tell you, I'm probably not the only one who needs a little ray of sunshine in this crazy, confusing, and turbulent calendar year. This talented and wise gem of a human is a therapist, a speaker, and a published author whose main goal is to help other people live according to their values. Easy peasy slice of carrot cake, right? Way back in the day when I first met Lauren, I picked her brain and she was generous enough to share her beautiful ideas with me. I had to have her on and share her wisdom with her sweet cat purring in the background. So in this chat, we discussed defining personal values, decision-making, addressing mental health during the pandemic, finding joy during hard times, and looking not just at the shades of blue and red, but finding the purple middle ground. I loved this and I hope you will too. I mean, I know you will too. Oh, and Lauren is putting on this wonderful hearth conference in October. She compiled a ton of inspirational and healing speakers, myself included, to share nuggets of wisdom to help you feel cozy and connected on World Mental Health Day, which is October 10th and then beyond because really every day should be World Mental Health Day. Nah, I mean, tickets start at $48 and you can get them in the show notes at partyinmyplants.com slash 199. Lauren, Dr. Lauren Cook, thank you so much for coming on the Party in My Plants podcast. 
Oh, Talia, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited we're doing this. Like I was saying earlier, I have been a fangirl over your podcast for a long time. So I'm so excited we're chatting. Well, I've been a fangirl of you for a really long time. Little teeny weeny backstory. You're represented by Campus Speak, which is the College Speaking Bureau I recently got indoctrinated into. And like... I don't know, five-ish years ago, I just out of the blue asked you if I could pick your brain and you you let me pick it. And I remember <laughs> you took my call while grocery shopping and I thought that was the kindest, most generous thing like anyone's ever done to just take an unsolicited call and give me all your advice and motivation and support to a stranger. It was so kind. And I'm in now, baby. So thank you. And you're the best. I love how that worked. I know. That's amazing. Now we're we're together on Campus Speak. It's so cool. So I'm so glad you reached out. Oh, man. I just love that you took me grocery shopping. <laughs> <laughs> I have too many calls in the grocery store, Talia. That's It's smart. You know, life hack. <laughs> there you go. So when I first met you, what, five-ish, whatever years ago, um, you were known as the sunny girl. And until very recently, you were the sunny girl. I mean, that was you. You are a ray of sunshine in general, and you wear a lot of yellow. So <laughs> that's appropriate. But I'm wearing yellow right now, actually. See, is that all you wear? If you go into your closet, is it just like yellow and Lily Pulitzer? Is that is that the deal? <laughs> I'm not going to lie. There's probably a good like 10 yellow outfits at least. <laughs> it's great. It's funny. I never wear yellow. So that's you that's should. Funny. You should. It's, why? Tell me why. Psychologically, Dr. Cook, why? I really do believe that what you wear, it does have an effect on your psyche. So, okay. But, but you know, I also have people tell me all the time, like, they feel so good when they wear the color black. So oh. I think it just depends what you feel confident in. That's the key. Boom. And for me, color makes me feel confident. So I'll be wearing Lily Pulitzer for days. <laughs> That's so good. That's great. So the sunny girl, how did that start? How, you know, you were so young when you branded yourself as the sunny girl and you've written a bunch of books as like the sunny girl and you've been speaking on big stages for a really long time to huge audiences, preaching the sunny girl gospel. Talk to me about what that was and how you got started. Yeah. So it actually started when I was 18 years old. I remember I had a family member get this book called The Happiness Project by Gretchen Rubin oh. for her birthday. And I remember saying, oh my gosh, that looks like such an amazing book. I'd love to write a book like that someday. And I remember they looked at me and they're like, are you kidding? Like, no, you're you're too young to do something like that. And Talia, I don't know about you, but when someone tells you, mm, I don't think you can do that. I'm like, oh, Watch really? <laughs> All right. So, so I, I ended up reading The Happiness Project, and I loved the book. I can still remember reading it in my dorm room. And after I finished it, I emailed Gretchen Rubin. No Because she says in her book, she literally says, if you reach out to me, I'll respond to you. Wow. I'm like, okay, I'll take you up on it. So I emailed her and said, you know, hey, I would love to write a teen edition of The Happiness Project with you. Well, no shocker. <laughs> she actually did write me back and she said, oh, thanks, but no thanks. <laughs> and I said, well, all right, then I guess I'll write a book on my own. Oh my and God. so, you know, then during my, my four years in undergrad at UCLA, I, I was just writing as I went through, you know, each, each semester or each quarter, I should say. 
And, you know, I really wanted the book to be a commentary to the millennial generation at the time and really find out what happiness meant to them. And so this was back, you know, when we were all using Facebook Messenger on the regs. And (laughs) so many people, you know, responded to my interview questions about what brings them joy in their life. And it was just such a really cool journey to get in touch with my generation and, and our thoughts on what brings us a sense of optimism. And that led to the sunny side up being published. So it's it's been quite a wild ride and something I'm so grateful for, you know, now that I've transitioned brands um, and Sunny Girl has been laid to rest, <laughs> bless her heart. <laughs> you know, I, I will always be grateful for that season in my life and, you know, what I've learned about positive psychology and all of that. But, but the journey has definitely evolved, you know, because I think, that's why we're seeing, you know, this hashtag toxic positivity right now, right? It has to be oh, I don't really know about this. Tell me more. Oh, okay. So toxic positivity is kind of this movement happening online right now of, you know, if people are kind of pushing this message on us of like, just be happy, just put a smile on your face. Um, good vibes only, you know, <laughs> good, <laughs> I think so. the way you said that, just, good vibes only. That just sounds so ridiculous when it's said out loud, like <laughs> on a t-shirt or like, you know, on a wall or something. I don't know. It sounds so ridiculous <laughs> when you say it through your mouth. Good vibes yeah. only. Yeah. That's all that's allowed <laughs> here. Good vibes only. And so I think that, you know, some people really internalize that as minimizing their experience. And, and that's a, bit, a big part of the work I do now is a lot of dialectical thinking and dialectical feeling, which is all about the both and, right? Like we can feel joy and sadness in our life. It doesn't have to be this all or nothing, Only one or the vibes. other. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Oh, so, so, so people are saying that's toxic positivity because it's like, it's toxic and it's positivity. <laughs> I guess Boom, so. I dynamite. guess so. That's, yeah, there you go. No, I love it. Okay, so during your stint as the sunny girl, what did you determine during that period? I'm curious, that brings joy in life? Because that was really what you were answering, right? Like what brings joy in life? What was some of the findings that you wrote about? Exactly. Well, you know, so many people think, millennials especially, that there's such a materialistic vibe to us. Mm -hmm. Uh, And what I really found is that actually we are just as relationship-centered as any other generation. You know, people time and time again when I ask them, you know, what brings you joy in your life, they told me about the people in their lives and the relationships that they had with others. They didn't tell me about a new car or you know, a shopping spree or even an Instagrammable vacation. Mm. They told me about relationships. And I think that's what I find so key, even for our introverted friends. Talia, I actually identify as an introvert, which people find shocking, but I don't find that shocking. I don't. Oh, okay. Your energy. I mean, you're just, you're really like solid. I don't know how, like you're just grounded and like you're, I don't know, like in a big room, like you're just there. But then if you get the mic, then you light up the room, but you don't like bust in the room. Like, yo, I'm here. You're just like, (laughs) you know, beautiful in the corner, just standing there like strong. But then like, you can really light up the room if given the opportunity. That's the way I, I see you. Oh, thank you. That's really, really sweet. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I think there is really something to the relationships in our lives. And that's that's really what I found through the research that I thought was was really interesting. The other problem, though, that I found, too, is that 
so many of us, we wish our time away. And I think that's so true during quarantine too. You hear people say all the time, like, I'll be happy when, or I'll be happy if. And I think we're seeing now, you know, when our happiness is conditional, Mm -hmm. it's always going to be out of reach. And so I really strive to help people find joy and meaning in their lives in the here and now, even in the pain, because the reality is pain is a part of life, you know, and we can try and run away from that, or we can learn to actually practice some acceptance of that and still find meaning in the process. Oof, yeah. Uh, So how do you help somebody like right now try to find some joy in this pain? Because I do think, you know, it's funny as I was preparing for this interview, one of the questions that I was asking at the end of all my interviews during like COVID was, what are you most looking forward to when this is over? (laughs) And as I was preparing for our chat today, I didn't write that question. I thought about it, but I'm like, when this is like, I think my mind in the beginning, as most of our minds was, was like, oh, this is going to end. And then Mm -hmm. we're going to go back to something, you know, like we're just going to remember life before this, this will be some weird freak few months and we're just going to go back. But I can't ask you that with a straight face because I don't think there's going back anymore. And so that, that idea of like, I'll be happy when, blank returns to normal when I can like we don't know when this is ending or what it's gonna look like so with this huge question mark of our existence and our restaurants and our working life and school and just everything how can you help somebody try to feel joy I always go back to gratitude. I'm such a big proponent of gratitude as a daily practice, as a mindfulness practice. I think that's so, so key Mm -hmm. is taking time to really note the little joys because there are little joys still happening in our lives, even while the pandemic is, is happening, you know, even to tell you this, you know, I'm on the, I'm on the West coast. I woke up right, bright and early for our talk today. And I thought to myself, wow, you know, I haven't had to wake up this early in months. (laughs) I'm kind of grateful for that. You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) But when we were on the road traveling with speaking, right? I mean, how many mornings were you getting up at 3 a.m., right? I don't love that. And so I think it does give us little moments if we're willing to kind of shift perspective to see like, ooh, that is something I'm actually grateful for. That's why I'm a big proponent of, you know, five daily gratitudes and really taking time to, to share those little moments. And what I think is really cool too, is, you know, our mirror neurons and our brains are so, so powerful, right? It's like, if I see you crying, I'm going to start to cry too. Cause I feel that right. And mm. as human beings, we really have this contagious energy with each other. And my favorite thing is to see, you know, what happens in families and even, you know, even as I'm giving a virtual talk to see people's faces light up as they hear what other people are grateful for it just totally shifts the energy. And so I think if we practice more gratitude in our experience, even as hard as this has been, I think it it gives us some hope. It helps us feel more connected to each other. So that's what I always turn to. Okay. And so you're not just some like, you know, journaler, random, like happiness lady, you're a doctor. Okay. Let's just like zoom right back into that because you, you wrote your book about, you know, the sun, what sunny side of life, sunny side. 
Sunny Side Up. Sunny Side Up. Nice. I should have known that. Um, you wrote that when you were in school, college, and but now, the, 10 years later plus, you're a doctor of psychology. So you now infuse or you integrate positive psychology and neuroscience into your work, right? So you're not just coming at this mm-hmm. gratitude thing like a pedestrian who just likes to journal in your pretty gratitude journal. You're a doctor and you're prescribing gratitude. I just want to make that very clear. So are there scientific research studies that really back up the power of gratitude besides it being some trendy hashtagable thing? Oh, yeah. No, I mean, there's a ton of research out there about the power of gratitude. And John Kabat-Zinn and all of his mindfulness exercises and all of his research really talks about how being mindfully aware and having a grateful state of mind, it, it makes a huge, huge difference. You know, this you're right. This isn't some willy-nilly like, oh, gratitude is nice and fluff, you know? Yes, that's how it's presented usually, so... It is, which is which is unfortunate. But, you know, it's amazing to me because I do almost always talk about gratitude in my talks with people. And I'll see people five years later and the ones who have been practicing gratitude on a regular basis, they say that it makes a huge, huge difference in their life just in terms of shifting perspective. Right. Because our human brains, we're wired to go negative. Like there's a reason that we complain with our friends. There's a reason we're sarcastic. That's not by happenstance. Our brains are hardwired to look for the negative. It it makes sense from an evolutionary standpoint to keep us alive, right? So we can problem solve and fix the, you know, the negative things. Is that why? It is. It is. And it's that survival instinct, right? If we're aware of what's going wrong, like you say, we can kind of be better prepared. That's why a lot of us are worriers too. We try and 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 booby trap and prepare for every possible thing that could go wrong, even though in the long run, that really impacts us oftentimes in a negative way, being in that worry state all the time with all that adrenaline and cortisol in our bodies. And so I, I always say that gratitude just helps us expand the frame to be able to hold both the challenge and the good in our lives. Um, so I invite all your listeners, you know, really come back to it. And I know it sounds like a simple, simple thing, But even making a a commitment to it on a regular basis, I think people really do see a shift in how they operate in the world and how they see the world. Well, totally. I mean, if we're pre-wired to look for the negative, like I can just imagine, you know, people chilling on the Oregon Trail years and years and years ago, like they weren't like, oh, this this is fun. They were like, oh, my God, (laughs) the wheel's going to fall off. Oh my God, there's a, there's cattle crossing. That's going to run it, whatever was happening, you know, like that we are. Yeah. That makes so much sense that we would just look for the negative in order to survive. But so consciously choosing to focus on the positive, especially when we're all in the throes of a lot of negative is so crucial. Yes, it is. It totally is. So is this a lot of the work that you help people with nowadays? Or like, what is your main focus that you love to help your clients with? Oof, that's a great question. So I currently work at the Claremont Colleges. So it's interesting there, like Pomona, Harvey Mudd, Pitzer, they're all in a consortium. So I mainly work with college students on college campuses and, and we support everything, you know, people coming in with panic attacks, depression, anxiety, 
I'm seeing so much depression right now. A lot of people are feeling really, really hopeless. Anxiety has actually gone down because a lot of the things that we're nervous about out in the world, we're not being actively exposed to. So our anxious friends are actually, I think, feeling a little better. Wait, that is incredibly fascinating. So just explain that one more bit. So anxiety then, what are the normal things that would cause Like what's lessening? Like people aren't in traffic as much or taking public transportation that causes anxiety or like going to offices or like first dates. Is it like that kind of stuff? Oh, it's all of it. It's all of it. So yeah, yeah, people aren't dating as much in person. Mm -hmm. Um, My clients that have, you know, social anxiety about being in the classroom, that's not happening. Even myself, Talia, I'm no stranger to a good panic attack. And I, (laughs) oh my goodness, I- I have felt them before speaking, you know, um, even being on plane sometimes. That's not happening right now. I'm chilling at home, right? (laughs) So because anxiety is the way that we do treatment for anxiety is exposure, right? To show us that you can endure through what you're afraid of so that it doesn't have that kind of power over you. But we're not being exposed to those things. So anxiety has really gone down. Whereas I'm seeing depression, especially for people who are prone to depression, Especially if you're an extrovert and you really get your energy from being with other people. Hello. That's, oh, <laughs> yes, yes. So I, I'm seeing a lot of hopelessness in that population because you're not getting that time to be with other people. And it really does does have an impact for sure. Well, it's true because like someone like me, an extrovert, we literally get our energy from being around other people. So if totally. we're not around other people, then we got no energy. <laughs> you know, I'm not great advice. at math, but like, I think that's pretty, uh, <laughs> pretty basic formula. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Whereas, you know, our introverted friends like yours truly were like, <laughs> You're oh, thriving. you want me to stay in for four months? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Oy vey, that's nuts. So you're helping with the whole gamut of, I'm sure college mental health right now is out of control. Like like you're saying, depression. What are the common signs of depression? If somebody at home is listening and doesn't know, maybe they are. Is there a difference between saying they are depressed or have depression? How would you differentiate that too? Hmm. I'm always a really big proponent of people not labeling themselves. Mm -hmm. I think that's really key. Um, Even the difference in saying I have depression versus I'm depressed, right? Mm -hmm. That's a difference in I have an experience versus I am this experience. That's why I used to um, work at UCLA CAPS, which is Center for Assessment and Prevention of Prodromal States, where we were working with pretty young teens, you know, as young as 12 who were showing early signs of psychosis. And I'd have people in the lay community often say, oh my gosh, what's it like working with schizophrenics? And I'm like, okay, hold the phone. They have schizophrenia or they have psychosis, but let's not label them as schizophrenic. Or or we hear that in so many different ways, right? Like, oh, she's bulimic or, Mm. oh, they're autistic. It's like, well, no, that's their experience, right? They maybe have bulimia, they have autism, but let's not label people by a diagnosis. I mean, we don't say someone's cancerous. So, you know, I think it's really key that we help people understand what a diagnosis is. I'm all about educate yourself and learn what that diagnosis means because then you can get more effective treatment. But to the extent that you're not labeling yourself and defining yourself by a mental health concern. And limiting yourself thus, therefore. Totally. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. Um, I can't use a lot. My words are not great this morning. This is early for me too, if you can't tell by my raspy voice. So words are <laughs> not coming in great. But okay, so your approach is very values-based, right? Like how does that yes. differ from other therapists? Because I know you're, I don't want to say loud and proud, but you definitely share a lot that this is your approach. So it makes me think mm-hmm. that it's unique and maybe it's not a universal approach. Yeah. So I'm a really big proponent of what we call third wave tenets in psychology, which is, you know, your cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT, your dialectical behavior, DBT. And then where I really camp out is what's (laughs) called ACT therapy, which is acceptance and commitment therapy. And it's kind of counterintuitive in the idea that, yes, life does have suffering in it. You know, that's a part of the equation, but we don't have to add pain into that process necessarily. And so that's where the acceptance piece comes in, because I think a lot of people want their symptoms to just disappear. And that's not the reality for some of us. And so instead, we practice that acceptance frame of mind of how can I roll with this rather than fight it? And then this is where the values come in. How do I still live a values, meaning-based life even with my symptoms present, because I think a lot of people let their symptoms, whether it's depression or anxiety or whatever it might be, they let that run the show and they let that get in the way of them living out their values. So I'm all about helping people still live a full hearty life from a strengths-based approach, from a recovery model approach that doesn't ignore your symptoms or diminish them. It just doesn't give them the room to take over your life like they may want to. I don't know why not every approach would include the A for acceptance. It kind of seems like that is the number one requirement when dealing with anything, right? Accepting that it's happening. That's why I love that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just confused that like it all, not not everything would start with an A. Um, (laughs) Wow, that's really interesting. I mean, I just did a a keynote the other night, actually a virtual one with Campus Speak um, about how to turn your ahs into ha-has. And it was about laughing more to stress less. And I even said, and I'm no doctor, that uh, the first step is accepting that it happened. You have to, how, what else are you going to do? You have to accept that you got dumped or that, you know, you failed a test or whatever is going on. And then once you accept it, you can start to play with it and massage it. And what I was helping people do is try to find the levity in it because, um, drawing from my comedy background, that is how you write jokes. That's how you create material. You take Mm. the sucky things that happen or the things that happen, you accept them, you massage them and you try to find the, the levity, the humor, the irony, the whatever sunny side in them. And Mm. I, I just don't, know how else you could get through life without accepting the things that happen to you. Totally, totally. And I I love that approach. I love how you integrate humor, right? Because I think sometimes the mental health field can be so serious. Yeah. And yet we need to just have a good laugh about things, right? I think if we see that things aren't as threatening or as debilitating that we make them out to be, especially for our worrying friends, we just fear so much what could happen. Mm. But honestly, humor is a form of resilience, right? Like, because you learn, like, I can laugh through it. I can get through it. It doesn't have to define me. So keep bringing your humor, Talia. We need it. We need it. thanks. Hi, a little interruptioni here, but you know what? In addition to all the wisdom that Lauren is spilling about helping our anxiety and our minds and such, having our blood sugar stabled helps too. And if you eat plants, you stabilize your blood sugar with plant 
protein. And you know my go-to plant protein is Sun Warrior. It's not groundbreaking information that I love Sun Warrior's plant protein powder. You've seen it be the main ingredients in my daily protein waffles for years now. But this summer, I got hooked on their newest protein blends called Lean Meal. I've been loving adding two scoops of Sun Warrior's Lean Meal. I love the snickerdoodle and chocolate flavors to nice cold almond milk in a shaker cup or into a smoothie and sipping that baby up like a lunch. It tastes like a milkshake and it's a very solid product with 15 grams of organic protein from organic and fermented yellow peas, superfoods, the equivalent to one vegetable serving and one fruit serving, billions literally of probiotics, a whole medley of mushrooms, and organic green coffee bean for a lovely little energy boost. It's just been such a great addition to my days. If you want to get your hands on Sun Warrior's Lean Meal or any of Sun Warrior's products for 20% less than the rest of the world pays to get their mitts on it, just use the code PARTYINMYPLANTS at checkout on their site, sunwarrior.com. That's Party My Plants at checkout on their site, sunwarrior.com. And now we're going to scoot on back to Dr. Lauren Cook. Well, going to your values, which is what you bring, I mean, it's funny because I grew up with my family always saying, like, these are our family values. Like, they <laughs> use that word a lot. And I don't know if that's common or not, but what would you define as a value? Like, what is a value? Mm. So values tend to be one singular word, right? So for example, it might be you value a sense of bravery, you value a sense of adventure. I mean, there's, I have honesty. over a hundred. Yes, I like exactly. honesty. <laughs> That's my number one value, I would say. Ooh, I like that. I like that. Is that on your list of a hundred? Yeah. Okay. No, it definitely is. Yeah. <laughs> put it put it right up there, Talia. Nice. Um, and so it's different than goals, right? I think sometimes that's where people get values confused oh. because goals are concrete, right? You're working towards them. They have a timeline. You make progress on them. You complete them or you don't. Whereas values are longstanding throughout our lives. Mm -hmm. So it's not something that we just check off. It's something that's present throughout. And something I tell people about values too, because so much of the time I hear people say, well, I should value this or I should value that. And it's like, no, if it's a value to you, and as long as it's not physically hurting you or someone else, it's a fair value, Hmm. you know? So as long as it brings you a sense of joy and meaning, don't deny that in yourself. I even have some clients who tell me, I do value, you know, popularity. Now, is that from a state of influence or is that from coming from a state of insecurity, right? That's maybe where we've got to do some work, but that's not physically harming anyone to have that value. And if you deny that value in yourself and you kind of put that shame reaction on top of it of like, I shouldn't value this, you're going to be living in a state of incongruence. So I think it's really key that you come at your values from a non-judgmental lens. That's when I think you can start to live more of that authentic life. Um, and Oof. so many people don't know their values, right? So I think it's really important to take the time and, and identify what those are. Okay. So many things here. First, I'll say funny. I was just with my family this weekend. So yesterday, and <laughs> we were talking about my childhood and my upbringing, blah, 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 as you do with your family when you're 31. And mm-hmm. um, oh, yeah. we were talking about how um, I used to always say to my mom, I want to be famous. And she would always judge me so hardcore because Mm. what she thought I was saying was, 
I want to be like Kim Kardashian famous, like just famous for fame's sake. Like I want to walk out of my house and have paparazzi like caring what I wear. And I used to say, and I told her this literally yesterday. I was like, mom, you made me feel really judged then. And you're making me feel judged again now. Cause all I meant was I want to have influence. Like you just said, Lauren, like I want, if I write something, I don't want seven people to read it. I'd love 700,000 people to read it. And so when I'm at a dinner restaurant, I'd love somebody to notice me and say, oh my God, her idea about, you know, black bean chili really impacted me or like her thoughts on, you know, imposter syndrome, like really touched me. And that's what Mm -hmm. I always was trying to communicate to my mom. But she added that, no offense, mom, if you're listening, a little layer (laughs) of like that shame. And I think that's really helpful that you just said that you shouldn't, you know, shame your values. You just should kind of like, I guess, get to the, the positive core of them, if you will. Exactly. Exactly. Because when we accept our values, we're accepting ourselves. Mm-hmm. And that gives us permission to step into our full light. Yeah, you know? totally. Like I used to feel really bad about wanting that because she made me feel like that was a bad thing. But I understand mm. the word fame connotates something totally different than I want to positively impact a lot of people, as many people as I can. There's not mm-hmm. really a word for that. I guess influences, but I don't know. No, but, but for sure. I mean, and that's the thing, right? Like every word can have a different connotation for different people, right? Mm. Like some people tell me they value having comfort or safety in their life. And you know what? I say more power to you because there are some people who would judge you for that of like, Ooh, you're lazy. Yeah. Yeah, You're lazy. You're not brave. Yeah. Oh no. Fascinating. mm -hmm. I love this. Okay. So how does somebody know if they know their values? I mean, like how, how do you weave this into helping people? Well, I think one is like, do you feel like you're living in congruence in your life? I feel like a lot of people feel a sense of purposelessness and that's when it's like, oof, okay, then maybe we do need to sit down and do like a values card sort, or even on my Instagram, I have a free values download for people with over a hundred values listed. Like I said, you can come away with your top 10 values. Top 10. That was a question. So 10, that's a lot. I like to go for 10. Wow. And it's amazing because if you do something like a values card sort, people have such a hard time defining their top 10, right? Because a lot of these words sound good to us. Yeah. <laughs> and we're conditioned to think we like them, right? Like we're taught you should value stability or whatever. I don't know. Yes. Responsibility. Yeah, yeah exactly. But but when it comes down to it, and just as important too, identifying what you don't value. Mm. That's okay too. A lot of people aren't willing to put a stake in what they maybe don't value so much. And that's oh. where we've got to be really honest too, because, you know, I do a lot of work with helping people make effective decisions in their lives, which mm-hmm. I hypothesize that a big reason we struggle with our decisions is because we're not aware of what our values are and we're afraid to live out our values. Um, a lot of people are actually really afraid to say what they don't value just as much as what they do. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, this is so good. So you consider values as the root, then it sounds, to decisiveness, which ultimately leads to a more empowered, aligned, uh, successful, joyful life, fulfilling, and also as a values as a core to just like happiness, right? Just like overcoming your circumstance. Like it just seems like it's the root of everything to you, which is beautiful. I I couldn't love it more. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I mean, I think it really, it can be transformative for people. And I think it gives people the courage to 
live their lives more fully. You know, I've worked with a lot of couples who can't decide if they want to get married, right? Or people who can't decide, do I want to take this job or leave or have a family, right? And I think if you know what your values are, it's going to get you through. Because like I said, life is going to be painful, right? If you decide to break up and in that relationship with that person, that's painful, right? Mm -hmm. Or you decide to move across the country to pursue a dream. There is pain that comes along with that. And I see a lot of people delay really important decisions in their lives because they're afraid of that pain. And if you know what your values are, it's going to ground you enough to say, you know what, this is worth it. The, the pain that's going to come with this, I can endure because I know at the end of the day, I'm living in alignment with my values. Yes. This is what I love about talking to you smart doctor people because you use such wonderful uh, verbiage to describe things that I floof around with. But like in my book, I talk <laughs> about how once you make a decision and you get, you know, set on, I eat plants. Like, hello, I, I must, my personal brand is that I eat plants. I take care of myself. Then mm -hmm. it becomes much less challenging or burdensome or scary or anxiety inducing to go to a bachelorette party pre-COVID um, and be <laughs> the one eating healthfully because you're less concerned about what other people think of you because you're like, yo, this is just me. Or, yeah. you know, it's, it makes it less hard to interact with a mother-in-law or to order the, be the weirdo ordering the healthy thing at the restaurant with the group dinner. Because once you're just so rooted in like, yo, this is my identity, then yeah. like you don't succumb to peer pressure. You don't worry about willpower. You don't worry about weird looks from your father-in-law. Hi, Howard. Um, <laughs> right? I mean, that's what you're saying, just not with food. Exactly. You just start owning it. Yeah. Right. And one of my favorite phrases, it, it's so freedom. Right. And I say, you know, values induction is not pain reduction. There's sometimes pain that comes along mm -hmm. with that process. But I think what you speak to is so true that once you've come through on the other side, it is so liberating. Yeah. And it might be pain in a way, but your inner strength is so oof, like just invigorating that like you can endure like the little scrape. That's kind of yes. the way it kind of feels to me. It's like when you're so strong inside of you, so rooted in your core values, then like, fine, you know, scrape your knee, you put a Band-Aid on it. Like things happen, but like, mm, you're strong inside. <laughs> exactly. And it's just like what you were saying too, right? Like with your, with your mom. Hey mom. <laughs> you yeah. know, this idea of once you've stepped into your light and you're owning, like, I do want to have influence, which is such an awesome thing, right? I'm, I, I imagine, so. Talia, you feel so much more in alignment, like you feel happier, you you feel like you're setting the world on fire, right? Totally. And I'm sure your mom loves to see you thriving in that way too. So once we can get to that state of kind of being unapologetic mm. about what, what brings us meaning in our lives, we see people treat us differently um, and we, we treat ourselves differently too. Oof, love it. So do you feel then that we get our values from ourselves, from our parents, from our society? Like, how do you find that people come? Can your values change? Like, talk about that. Yeah. You know, I don't see people's values changing too, too much. Yeah. I mean, obviously they can kind of ebb and flow as we learn and we educate ourselves. We always want to be open from a flexible lens, but I would say I do tend to see values be pretty consistent in people's lives. Um, I'm also a huge believer in the Enneagram. I don't know if we have any oh. Enneagram friends listening. Um, Everyone but loves the Enneagram. 
What's your number, Talia? So, okay, this is silly. I took it once, like, you know, midday. I was a three wing four. Okay. Then I took it a little buzz after dinner one night, and I was like a totally different. <laughs> I was like, oh. I like my my drunken view of myself was very different. I was like the, like I think set whatever the like person that goes against authority is. Like, oh, that's usually an eight. <laughs> yes, I was like an eight um, <gasps> when I was drunk. So, <laughs> but I think my true sober self was a three wing four. <laughs> I was going to say, I feel like you might be a three, but I could, I could see it. I could see it. When I get um, feisty. What about you? <laughs> I'm a three wing two. Oh, so. nice. Yeah, a lot of a lot of speakers. I think we are threes, right? We like to motivate and achieve and all this, um, which has its own good and challenging sides to it. But yep. three wing two, so there's a helper in me as a therapist. That's but perfect. Yeah, what's four again? It's the question. Is it like going against it's like authority? The, it's oh. like the feeler. So oh. the fours, you you've got all the feels, all the emotions, all in my gut. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I could see where the four would come in, but. Um, so I do kind of subscribe to some of the Enneagram state of mind. I think for, I've seen so many clients that just really give a lot of light onto their experience, Mm. but I do think our values, they come from so many places, right? Yes, it does come from our family values, you know, (laughs) as you were just saying, you know, your family brought that up for so long and also, you know, our own personalities from everything from a biological genetic level, why we have the personalities we do to our experiences that we have out in the world. It really, it's that both and once again, um, the environment and our biology. Um, so that that kind of makes us each who we are in the world. And, and that's, you know, where our values come to play. And that's why, especially with people that I'm working with who are dating or even forming mm. friendships, right? Because I think a lot of people really personalize, ooh, it's not a good connection. You know, what does that say about me? And it's like, no, it's really, are your values in alignment with the other person? Is there that connection there? Um, And not personalizing that so much because we each come to the table with different lenses and perspectives. And I think if we see that as less threatening and more about just our values maybe being in different places, it kind of shifts how, how we feel about the people in our lives. I totally agree. Do you ever encourage people that are doing like online dating or anything to, I don't even know if that's a thing, or app dating to Mm -hmm. like kind of infuse their values into what they're writing, like their profile? I wish people would. You should. Yeah. (laughs) I I wish they would because it's so much easier to find a match. Exactly. Like, let's get down to it. I think people are so afraid of being real with each other. I mean, the research shows that it usually takes people six months before they show them their true self. Oh my God. Mm -hmm. What? Mm -hmm. So what are you showing for the first six months? Like your your (laughs) highlight reel, who you think you should be? Yes. (gasps) Oh my God. Wow. I know. Wait, I'm the shocked. Point, <laughs> to my core. That's why we see Bachelor Nation fall apart. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> I love that you just said that. It's so <laughs> true. Bachelor Nation. Oh, my God. Wow. Six mm-hmm. months? Six months. That's exhausting. Months. <laughs> I know. I know. So, oh. I mean, and that's about how long we've been in quarantine at this point. But, oh yeah, goodness. no, it usually takes about six months. So I really feel like and, – and I always tell people, too, when you're real, you get valuable data. And I think people mm. are so afraid to get data because they're worried about getting data that's not going to align with what they want. 
But if you show up to a relationship and you're your authentic, true self, that person is either going to respond to you in a way that you feel closer, you're more connected, your relationship progresses, or that person is like, oof, no, that's not for me. And yes, that's going to hurt in that moment, but you're going to have each saved yourself six months of time dancing around each other, playing it out. But I think a lot of people are afraid to maybe get answers that they're, they don't want. So I always say more data is better. So show up your, your real true self. Hell yeah. Don't take (laughs) six months. Oh my God. (laughs) Wow. That's really, that's really a, I don't even have word. That really breaks my heart is really what it is. That's devastating to hear. Mm-hmm. You're wasting six months pretending to be someone or trying to be someone you're not. Like That's horrible. Just be real. Then it's yes. a match or not. And if it's not, then go find another person that's a better match. Oh, my God. Okay. Exactly. Wow. I, you might have just – you struck some nerve with me there. Um, <laughs> that's just very sad. So what is this card game that you're talking about to find your values? Yeah, no, I love this. We we use this in therapy a lot. So it's called the values card sort. And honestly, you can print one out online and cut it out, make it a craft DIY project. And basically you go through, you typically sort it out in three different piles. You've got your most important, your somewhat important, and your not important. And you just, you literally have a, a card sort of over a hundred different values. And based on just your gut feeling, you put those cards into piles of what is most important to you? What isn't? And then I usually will have clients go through and pick their top 10. I always have them take a picture of it or write it down. And then if you really want to kick it up to that next level, especially Ooh. if you are debating between a really tough decision, list out those top 10 values and ask yourself, how do we see those playing out in each of the possible decision outcomes? And that can really highlight for people of like, Ooh, I am just trying to avoid pain or yes, this really does feel like it's living in alignment with my values. So Mm. it's a fun exercise. I love doing it with clients and everybody has different values. So it's really fun to see what people come away with. In a relationship, is it very important that you and your partner overlap with like, would you say like at least 50% of your values or would you say it has to be a hundred percent or like 20%? Like what? <laughs> I know it's oh, really I, random. I don't but. think, I don't know. I love that question. I don't think it needs to fit at all. There's oh. no algorithm there. I think the only thing is that you feel like you have, you can have a healthy respect for each other's values. Right. And like I said, it's not personal. If those values maybe aren't in alignment sometimes you just have to figure out if you can live with that, right? Like mm. if one partner, for example, really values adventure. That's what I, oh my God, that was literally the word. I'm like, she's going to say adventure and you said it. Okay, I was going <laughs> to use that as an example too. Yeah, adventure, because exactly. that's such a polarizing one. If someone's adventurous and someone's like a homebody. Yes, exactly. Mm. And so you've, you've got to just figure out as a couple, talk it out. Mm-hmm. Is this something we can work with or not? And, you know, I, that's why I think the more information you have about this, the better. In the same way that people love the love languages, right? Our, oh, our friend Rachel yeah. I love a I good love, love languages. Oh, yeah. And it's the same way, right? Like your love language may not be your partner's same love language, uh-huh. but we often, we love our partner the way we like to be loved and then wonder why isn't this working, you know? Yes. <laughs> and I think the same is true for our values that if we can know and honor and love our partner's values for what they are, because we see them living in their fullest self, then great. Right. Mm. 
Oh, so, yeah. dynamite. I love the I love the love languages. That's so good. Oh, so you love so helpful. Yeah, I'm curious. Words of affirmation. Okay. And Jesse's okay. is physical touch. So, okay. but it's interesting. Um, those are, you know, kind of polar opposites. <laughs> but we work on it. We work on it. It's great. It's been so helpful to just be able to identify it. Yes, exactly. To name it. And, yeah. and the same is true with the values piece as well. I love it. Okay. So how do you weave this into decision? And also indecision is is pretty specific. Why did you decide to really focus on indecision as a key uh, struggle that you're helping people with? Yeah. I thought about this for a long time because I knew I wanted to create a curriculum, but you know, something I wanted to give people something tangible that they could use. And I just saw an overarching theme, especially since I work with a lot of young adults of people just really having a hard time making up their mind. Mm. <laughs> I mean, coming to therapy week after week, oh my gosh, I can't decide, you know, whether to leave my relationship or stay in it. Um, or I can't decide whether or not I want to move forward with this job. Or, I mean, there's so many different decisions that people struggle in their lives that I see bringing people a lot of distress. And so I wanted to give people a formula in a way of, hey, let's walk through these steps so that you can move more towards making a competent decision. And again, mm. making a decision is not about reducing pain. Sometimes making that decision is going to be incredibly painful in that moment, but in the long run, it's going to bring you to that place you want. So staying in that relationship, right? Is that really gonna be the best choice for you? Maybe it's, it's comforting in the short run, but in the long run, is this actually what you want for yourself? And I wanted people to not feel like they were wasting their time anymore, being in this state of limbo, really helping people take action in their lives. So that's why I, I created the decision principles, because I just have seen a lot of suffering in that de department of people's lives. Um, and I wanted to help people make choices with more confidence, um, even though we don't actually know how things are going to turn out. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, you're not a mind reader. You're not a crystal ball person, no, fortune teller. No, but, but that's where the resilience work comes in of, hey, you need to know that whatever decision you, you make, that's why there's no such thing as a right or wrong decision. Whatever decision you make, you're going to be able to navigate through it. And that's why I think a lot of people struggle with decisions. They doubt their own ability to, to be resilient. And, you know, sometimes people don't really see until they get in a state of pain or a state of a tough situation. Oh, I actually do have a lot of grit. I'm stronger than I realized. And that's kind of the blessing of pain, right? I, I love Richard Rohr's work, falling upward, that when we fall down, we actually grow more. We go upward. Um, but a lot of people avoid that. And that can really look like indecision. I love that. I, I have written on my gym mirror, um, strange how we only see our strength when there's struggle. Oof. And I made that up. That's Talia Pollock that, original. That's quotable um, right there. I love that. Yeah. But like, it's like I was lifting weights one day and I'm like, damn, look at my muscles. Yes. And it's like, you never see those when you're just chilling. Mm -hmm. It's when you pick up heavy things, when there's resistance, when there's struggle, when there's hardship, that you see how strong you are. Oof. And that's on the other side of decision making, I suppose. It is. I, Talia, I love yeah. that. I love that. Oh, thanks. I'm just tooting my own horn this morning. No. Hey, you should. Um, <laughs> I never I never do interviews in the morning. This is my most like woke self. So I'm just bouncing off the walls. <laughs> um and and you're got me all sunny. 
I am over the moon excited about today's sponsor. Friend, this is my dream sponsor. The, oh my God, is this real life sponsor? The sponsor I've been dreaming about since I was a little girl winning card-giving holidays with her reliable tearjerkers, ending fights with soul-spilling letters left on people's pillows, and surviving college by avoiding all test-taking classes and taking only essay-writing ones. No, this sponsor is not a pen or a computer or those yellow papermate sharp writer number two mechanical pencils that you turn the tip of, which I've used religiously for two decades. This sponsor is the thing I've been writing up to my whole life. It's my book. My first freaking real life will live in stores if stores ever open up again, but can live on your shelf right this second book. Party in Your Plants, which has been called in an Amazon review as the best plant-based book ever, as well as a cookbook that's way more than a cookbook, and a plant party heaven. Readers have also said that it's the best healthy living guide for your kitchen that you must purchase pronto. And so I'm here to tell you that you can promptly purchase Party in Your Plants, 100-plus plant-based recipes and problem-solving strategies to help you eat healthier without hating your life anywhere books are safely and sanitarily sold. Partyinyourplants.com will take you to all the major retailers, or you can just hop your fingers over to Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Target, or Walmart to buy yourself and your best friend and their best friend a copy today. That's partyinyourplants.com to grab a copy or 19 of my book that Amazon readers say you must add to your cookbook stack ASAP because it gets all the thumbs ups. Okay, so what are your decision principles? And are these really to be applied to both large decisions like career change, dating things, moving? That's a huge one, I'm sure, right now. Not maybe with college students, but with out-of-college humans. Um, (laughs) Or are we talking also little decisions like what should I wear or like eat for a snack? (laughs) It's definitely more for big decisions, decisions that are keeping you up at night or, you know, waking you up in the morning. Um, yeah. So, and it's great. It's, you know, I've got 10 different modules to walk you through. I have a whole handbook to apply the content to your life personally. And something that's really cool too, is the modules I have after you've made a decision for you to really look back and reflect on what have you learned from this experience? And the idea being, there's a lot of really cool conversations happening right now about how exposure and behavior that shifts our mental state, often more than challenging our thoughts or challenging our feelings. And so decision-making is such a behavioral act, right? And when we make a decision, we are showing and proving to ourselves, we're giving ourselves that data of, oh yeah, I, I can do this. And that kind of reinforces in the brain that neuroplasticity piece of, I am more capable than I realized. And we start to kind of shed that I'm indecisive label that we may have put on ourselves. Mm -hmm. Do you feel that right now, 2020, this pandemic situation, do you feel that indecision, indecisiveness is on the rise? Is it like, where do you see it? And what are the factors that are contributing to indecision right now? Is it like lots of comparison based on social media? Is it 
unknown of the state of affairs that we're in? Like, what do you see happening right now? Yeah, that's a great question. I'm honestly kind of seeing two different things. One, I'm seeing people have like a freeze response of like, I'm just not going to do anything. I'm just going to wish for this year to be over. But I'd also say that I'm seeing more decision more than ever before in some ways where people are being stuck in their homes and really having to look in the mirror and they're realizing, Mm -hmm. wow, I've been on autopilot. I've kind of been in a numb state and, you know, why not get married, right? Maybe I can't have the big Mm -hmm. wedding, but I want to be married, dang it, right? Or some people saying, I'm actually really unhappy in this relationship. I can't go on in this. And Oh, yeah. You know, taking this step Lots forward. of breakups right now. There's like every day I feel like there's a new celebrity breakup yes. um, that I just see pop onto my phone. And then like if you click, it's like the latest celebrity to get divorced. And then you click and it's like they compiled a list of all the celebrity oh, divorces. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's a way to make you feel better about yourself. <laughs> well, you know, there you go. <laughs> so, yeah, I think it it does actually for a lot of people, I think it's pushing people to really look at the, their values and say, Ooh, I'm living in alignment or I'm not. Whereas before so many of us were kind of just going through the motions and our mm-hmm. busyness was a really dang good excuse to not take a look at the, the status and situation of our lives. Totally. I mean, I live, our house is just outside of New York city and Oh my God. Every house it gets listed gone in five minutes. Yes. Like everyone's moving out of the city right now. And I think a lot like in the past, I mean, houses would be on the market for a long time. Mm-hmm. And now everyone's just like making a decision. Like my acupuncturist was like, I think we were going to move, you know, out of Jersey city to the, the suburbs. Like a week later, she's like, yeah, we bought a house. <laughs> like people are moving so fast, especially with that. And I think, like you said, they're just awakening to like, oh yeah, I'm not happy in my tiny little shoebox. Yeah. Or, you know, like they're like, I don't want to ever go back to working in an office. Like I'm going to buy a bigger house so I can like work remotely in an office in my house. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, and that's been, I think one of the the hidden blessings, the gratitudes and all this, right? That it, mm, nice. it is giving us a reason to make a, make a change in our lives when we need to. Mm-hmm. So then the idea of decision fatigue, is that more for how we run out of, you know, the energy, really, the mental stamina to make these little decisions throughout the day? Because that's another thing that I write about in my book, how especially as it relates to food decisions, how if we're, you know, usually most people are like, yeah, I rock health, healthy breakfast or even a healthy lunch. But by dinner, I'm just like, oh, give me like Stouffer's <laughs> You know, and I talk about how that's, you know, in large part due to decision fatigue. Is that more for small decisions, not like the big ones, right? I'd say so. But I mean, people do feel decision fatigue just as much with big decisions in a large way too. You know, I mean, I've worked with couples who are trying to decide if they want to get engaged or in their relationship and they can be in therapy for six months easily of, Oh, do do we, do we not, you know, and it it does. Oh my God. Oh yeah. It can have a huge emotional labor on people for sure. That's such a, those are such contrasting ideas. Should we get engaged or end the relationship? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. But Hey, when, when you're seeing people who have been together for seven, eight, nine years and one partner really wants to get married, the other is, I don't know we really see the sunken cost principle come into effect, which is this idea of, well, I've been in it this long. I want to get my worth out of this investment, right? I don't want to be back at square one. 
So let me try and do everything I can to make this work. That that plays out a lot in couples therapy. <laughs> wow. So if someone right now is sitting on a big decision, mm-hmm. as I'm sure many people are, especially with career choices or living choices or relationship choices, um, what's the first thing? Is it getting clear on your values or what what's what would be some ways you could give someone some insight to just start making forward momentum on a decision? Yeah, two things. One is, yes, getting clear on what your values are and really having a a good long look of, am I actually living in alignment with those values with this decision? And the second thing, too, that's really interesting, the research shows that a lot of people see decisions as yes, no, do, don't. And when we give ourselves Mm -hmm. only two options, we're actually really limiting our potential outcomes. So I always Mm -hmm. tell people, actually challenge yourself to find at least three different options. And that sort of pushes you into, okay, let me actually test this out a little bit so that I'm not feeling like I have to pick the red box or the blue box, you know? Wow. That's really interesting. I love that. And it's, you know, sparks your mind to really think creatively. Yes. Yes. Get creative with your decision-making and give yourself compassion through the process. It's really important that you trust yourself that, Again, take that pressure off. There's no such thing as a, quote, right decision. Whatever decision you make, there's going to be good things about it. There's going to be hard things about it. And you need to know that you can navigate through it. Mm. Um, But I think a lot of people are just so afraid of what the potential outcomes could be that they do really get in that indecisive state. Do you have any advice for kind of lessening that fear of the potential outcomes. I mean, I can speak to the idea of a lot of things in my business where I'm like, ooh, maybe I want to stop doing that or maybe I want to, you know, quit doing this or maybe I want to really change this. And there's a lot of like, ooh, could this happen? Ooh, what if that happens? Like, do you have any advice to somebody like me who are dealing with those kinds of decisions and worrying so much about that outcome? Right. I think the best thing you can say to yourself is, and then what? <laughs> you know, we mm. we often play the then what game in, in therapy of, okay, play out your worst fear. How would you navigate that? Because uh-huh. the brain's trying to figure out, ooh, how would I get through that? And we're actually afraid to roll the tape. And I tell people, roll the tape. Try and be <laughs> Monday morning quarterback to figure out how would you navigate that? And, you know, ultimately people usually see, oh, it actually wouldn't be that bad or I would find another way. Yeah. Um, I'd find another path. And that, that. helped liberate us for sure. Yes. Both of those are so expansive. I mean, I feel that I'm a very binary person. So I often do like gut kind of, I wouldn't say impulsive, but impulsive-ish reactions. So I'm like, oh, it's over, you know, or like, yes, you know, but I love the idea of challenging myself to think of a third option. And I love the idea of venturing down the road of a potential or likely outcome to a decision and then like playing it out like a quarterback. Like that's true. Like you make the pass and then what, what does the guy do with the ball? Once he gets the (laughs) ball, you know, you're done is the quarterback. You made the complete pass, but like, what if this happens or what if that happens? Or, you know, like that's really, that's really an expansive way to look at decision-making and I'm thankful you just shared it. Oh, I'm grateful. Gratitude. (laughs) Yes. 
gratitude. <laughs> so I, speaking of gratitude for you, I loved reading about your approach to to-do lists. Oh. We're changing it up a little bit, but you wrote this post on Instagram about four ways to just approach to-do lists that I had never heard of before. It was really interesting. Mm. If Do you remember? I can tell you what it was if that was like a long time ago. <laughs> Refresh my memory. Talia. I shall. Okay. So you said <laughs> highlight the top three priorities. So that pretty straightforward. That's actually what I do. I, you Mm -hmm. know, amongst all the bajillion things one could be doing, I'm like, okay, if I just get done with three things today, like what would those be? That's good. Yeah. On the same track. Then I love that you said include a self-care task. Yes. Mm -hmm. That's brilliant. Swooping that in there. So what are some self-care tasks that you would recommend somebody add to their to-do list? I mean, Talia, I'm not going to lie. Sometimes I put take a shower (laughs) on my to-do list. Sometimes we need that little, you know, extra oomph to get us through Mm -hmm. the day. But what I find so many people, you know, when they're feeling stressed out, their self-care goes immediately out the way, you know? And so for me, exercise, going on a walk, that's a form of Uh self-care. So I put that on my list um, because I'm that person that when I'm busy, I'm going to come up with every excuse under the sun to not exercise. And so yeah. that kind of helps hold me accountable. Um, or even, you know, reading a book for fun for yes. 25 pages a day. And I know that might sound maybe a little drill sergeant-esque, but it helps kind of keep my eye on the prize because otherwise I start noticing, oh, spent an extra 20 minutes on Instagram or something, right? Or, you Absolutely. know, whatever it might be. And so... I think my daily to-do list, it helps keep me so grounded. I already wrote mine for the day while I was getting ready for our call. And it just helps give me a sense of clarity through the day. The other thing I'll add, though, it's a good day for me if I only get through 50% of my to-do list. That's the next point I was going to (laughs) say. Okay, good. I kind of (laughs) remembered. Yes. Yeah, Um, that was the most groundbreaking approach that you shared there that you're like, yeah, just strive for 50% completion. Tell us about that. Yep, because I think you really need to brain dump on your to-do list. I, I always tell people, don't just put what you think you can get done. Put everything that you'd like to get done and then strive, like I said, to get that 50%. It's good to leave things for the next day. And I think it helps us practice living in a state of in-between. I think so many of us, we do have that all or nothing. I need to do everything or I don't want to do anything. Mm -hmm. And it's actually really good to practice leaving things unfinished and coming back to it the next day or next week, whatever it might be. It's okay to carry things over. And that's also kind of my benchmark of, okay, I've gotten through 50% of my to-do list for the day. Let's just take it easy the rest of the day. Um, it really, it shifts how I experience my life. So I encourage people to give it a shot. I love that. I feel like this common thread that I'm noticing with you is just, yeah, this in between this, like, you know, there's a red and there's a blue, but there's also maybe a purple, you know, I feel like that's, that's something that you keep infusing into our conversation. And I just really love that. That's a really refreshing, like I keep saying expansive, just, you know, shoulder relaxing way to approach life. It's not so white knuckly. Yes. Well, and that, I'm, that means a lot to me that you noticed that because that's been a real shift in my thinking in the past five years. And I found that it really transforms how I show up in the world. Life feels much less threatening to me. Mm. Um, and I feel like I honestly have a lot more compassion for people. And I, I see other people who kind of have this 
shades of gray have more compassion for others too, because we start to realize that people aren't good or bad, right? We're all just human beings going through the world. We have some good moments, we have some bad moments and all the in between. And I think that helps us hold so much more empathy for each other. Mm -hmm. Um, It's pretty liberating. And my husband really practices that in his group chat with his friends. They talk about politics a lot. And not everyone in the chat shares the same political values. Um, There we go, the value word. Mm -hmm. And he's really learned to not just write off someone who voted differently than he did. He has has really worked on, because these are his like lifelong friends. And if he did that, that would be challenging with some of them. So he's learned to be like, listen, just because they voted a certain way doesn't mean they're a bad person. There's gray in the middle. Yes. And I think that's been really transformative in that. And that's something that's a hot topic right now for our world as well. Oh, yeah. We could have a whole another <laughs> hour-long conversation about that. <laughs> we won't go there. But, um, okay, I wanted to just rapidly ask you a few last things. I, I circled extrovert, and I wanted to come back to it. Do you have any advice for extroverts like myself who are actually struggling in this time? I didn't ask you that before, but like, yeah, it's been rough, especially now. I mean, you're in California, but we're we're I'm on the East Coast. I'm in New York, and it's yep. gonna get cold real soon. And you know, these socially distanced outdoor shindigs are gonna go out the window, and I'm very nervous because we mm-hmm. started in March. And then it quickly-ish became summer, didn't feel fast. But now, starting in the fall again, going through the whole winter and fall, and then spring. So what do you have any advice? Oh, I know. I know. Well, I think living in the present moment as much as possible, being in that mindful state is helpful so that we're not spending all of our time thinking about what's to come. We'll get there when we get there. And a lot of us engage in forecasting where we try and predict the future. And... (laughs) We're not so good at that. So, especially this is so unpredictable. So, so unpredictable. And I really encourage our extroverted friends to get creative and to stay committed to your social engagements. So Mm -hmm. whether that's having a book club or a weekly commitment to Zoom with your friends, I feel like in the beginning of this whole thing, we were so good about hopping on our Zoom calls with friends. (laughs) And now we're like, "Mm, that's true, you know, and so even when you don't want to show up to that Zoom call with your friends, do it anyway. Because nine times out of 10, I find that when I do that, I feel better that I did show up and I feel happier. Um, And so keep those commitments to socially engage and get creative, right? Maybe you, maybe you have all your friends make your, your recipes together and you all can, you know, taste test it. It's not (laughs) the same, you know, let yourself feel sad about that. Don't deny Mm -hmm. your emotional experience of it. But I think, you know, still making that commitment to engage as much as possible is really key. So good. Now, another question is, have you seen Love on the Spectrum yet on Netflix? Oh, I'm obsessed. Lauren, I watched it three times. (laughs) I like, I couldn't physically love it more. I know. It was like. Oh my God. I loved it. It was so heartwarming. It was, it was what I needed. It's what the world needs. 
Yes. Everyone listening, please go to Netflix and watch Love on the Spectrum. It is, a, it's like, I wouldn't even say it's like The Bachelor. It just follows all of these individuals who are on the autism spectrum trying to find love. And Lauren, like you were saying earlier that it takes six months for people to show their true selves on average. And these folks are showing it minute one. And that yes. is what I so deeply admire about them. Oh, I so agree. I so agree. Yeah, it. It kind of uh, restored my faith in humanity. <laughs> it was, I so agree. Yes. Oh, it was and then they're Australian, so they have these amazing accents. It like yes. really adds a level. Oh, it is medicine. I really think that show is medicine. I can't wait for them to hopefully make more. <laughs> I know. I know they have to have a season two. I really hope they do. I know. So speaking of medicine and producing things, you are about to be producing a very healing, inspirational virtual conference, the Hearth Conference. So tell us about that. What is that? Uh, spoiler, I'm involved with it. But <laughs> tell everyone um, why. what made you come up with it. What's going on? I'm so excited that you're one of our speakers. Yeah. So I wanted to do something. You know, I've seen so many people having a hard time right now. And so... I really wanted to do something to honor, you know, World Mental Health Day is coming up on October 10th. And I don't know about you, but I can be a little basic sometimes. I love a good fall season. I'm already oh, a little yeah. OD'd on pumpkin spice. Impossible. Um, <laughs> but I love this time of year. I love the coziness of it. And so I thought, why not call it the Hearth Conference and really gathering around, you know, our, our tagline is virtually gathering our heads and hearts together. And so I wanted to bring together different mental health healers, clinicians, uh, advocates for wellness like yourself. And so we have about 50 speakers in our lineup and it's all virtual. So people can go on, they can get the 48 hour pass, the one month or the lifetime pass and watch these amazing videos of people sharing everything from how to find your resilience through unpredictable times, how to have healthy relationships, one of my good friends, Lacey, is talking about how art therapy can be so healing. Ooh. So we just have so many awesome content topics. As you can tell, I'm really pumped up about it. And so I, um, I hope people will tune in because I think it's just going to be something really good to give your soul. I really hope people tune in too. And I'll be doing a talk on levity and how to use levity to, like I was saying earlier, turn those ahs into ha-has. So I, I really that. hope you tune in. We will leave information about it in the show notes and that will be fantastic. And so Lauren, if somebody's listening to this after October 10th when it premieres, can they still purchase access? Yes, they will still be able to. Um, Great. World Mental Health Day is one day, but in my opinion, it needs to be every day. Every so, day. yeah, Great. people will still be able to access. Okay, good, because that would suck. <laughs> I know. <laughs> you know, know. If, you're, if you want it and you can't get it, let's not let that happen. Okay, no. finally, I have to ask you, what is your favorite plant to eat? <laughs> Ooh, I love that. Can I say broccoli? Because of course. like Please. I love a good broccoli that you put in the oven and it gets crispy and they're mm. like little chips almost. Mm -hmm. I love broccoli cheddar soup. I love broccoli in just about anything. So wow. I'm going to go for broccoli. Can I ask yours? I'm curious. It depends. I don't ask me. I'm, I can't answer that. <laughs> I love apples right now. Apple season. I love pumpkins, but Ooh. that's right now. I love yep. cauliflower. It's versatility. I mm -hmm. love kale. It's also versatility. I love sweet potatoes. Ooh, I love bananas. Yes. 
blueberries. (laughs) (laughs) I love them all. Good thing I wrote a book about plants. (laughs) Yes, which is so good. So good. Okay. What is, speaking of book, a book that has really inspired you? Oh my gosh. I know it's a tough one. Well, I think everyone would say Untamed by Glennon Doyle. So let me No just one say- said that yet. So thank you. Really? Oh, well, wow. I have yeah, I haven't done a lot of recent episodes, so maybe that's why. But um, hell yeah, Untamed. Oh, did you read it? Oh, you bet I read it. Oh, you I bet thought you. it was so good. I loved it. Incredible. I mean, we can do hard things. That is what I took away from that. But one one book that I'll say too that probably not everybody has heard of, um, Mindful Self-Compassion by Kristen Neff. I love that book. Um, really incredible research. And I think for all of our friends listening who are hard on ourselves or really critical, she really makes the case for why we actually need to be kind to ourselves, which is something a lot of us don't actually do. So for I'll pick a popular one with Untamed and maybe one that not as many people have heard of with Mindful Self-Compassion. I love that. And I definitely need to get that book. That is so up my alley, especially as you're speaking about what I'm calling purple. Maybe some people call gray. I'm calling it shade of purple. I love that. I really love that too. That should be your next thing. (laughs) Purple girl. No, um, purple woman. Um, I think that's another way of showing yourself some self-compassion is having like a third option or an in-between. So I think that I'm going to definitely pick up that book. But where should everybody go to pick up your work, your uh, decision principles, the conference? Where should everybody go? It's all on drlaurencook.com. So hop on over there. And then I post daily mental health content. I'm most active on Instagram. So if you yeah, Dr. Lauren Cook, <laughs> you can hop over there and, and get your your daily mental health dose. I, I think it'll hopefully be helpful for people tuning in. Well, it's interesting. So you're on Instagram a lot. How do you keep your mental health, what is the right word? Strong, healthy, happy? What is the right, what's the right adjective I should put there? Mental health. <laughs> Well, how do you say well yeah, mentally? Well, I don't or or hearty. I like the word hearty. Okay. Um, <laughs> how do you stay keep your mental health hearty while being on social media so much? Little like parting words of wisdom here because that if anything's going to ravage our mental health, it's social media oh comparison. My gosh. And, oh. Did you see the social dilemma yet? Oh yes. Oh I didn't yeah. Like that. That was. The, I mean, I it was important, but a little freaky. But kind of scary. Um, yeah, very. Scary. Super scary. Um, so yeah, I think it's really, I'd be lying to you if I said that it doesn't affect my mental health sometimes. And I think that's something really important to me as a therapist, to be a real human being. One of my core values is being transparent with people. And so I have my own mental health struggles and I really try and be very candid about that with people. Um, and so yeah, my, my mental health can definitely get impacted by social media. And I don't know just about anybody who isn't affected by it in some way. But I think for me, it's setting a boundary on it in terms of how much time I spend. And I've also shifted my perspective of it. So I see social media from a purely business perspective Mm. and a business lens rather than a personal lens. And I think that helps me not personalize it so much. Mm -hmm. And that helps me kind of set a mental boundary with it too. So that's That's an evolving conversation for people. But I think the best thing you can do is one, set time boundaries and to, you know, ask yourself and be candid with yourself how it is affecting you. Don't be in a state of denial if it is impacting your mental health. And and spoiler, it is impacting your mental health. <laughs> it's yes. impacting everyone's mental health. It's 
hundred percent. Honestly. <laughs> oh, All right. Well, Lauren, this was fantastic. How do you feel being a doctor now? You worked so hard for that. It's so so oh legit. Is that it's weird? Still, I yes. Every time I say Doctor Lauren Cook, I definitely still have some of that imposter syndrome of like, really me? You know? I mean. It's I awesome. I got it in May, but it's been yeah, it's really brand new. exciting and um, I'm, I'm pretty pumped about it. So yeah. Congrats. It's, it's wonderful. Great. I mean, I remember when I became married and I would be, I used husband and oh. I felt so weird about that. And so <laughs> that's my only experience. I didn't really change my name, so I don't have that experience. Um, but the husband is my closest thing to becoming a doctor. So that's really funky and awesome and congratulations I'm Aww, happy for you thanks Talia thanks I'm so glad we got to do this this has been a great way to start my day so I'm, I'm so glad that we got to spend time together awesome well everyone go follow Lauren Dr. Lauren Cook on Instagram and um, she will certainly brighten your day <laughs> take good care Talia Thanks so much for listening to the Party in My Plants podcast. I am so curious if you know your values or if you need to do some digging. If you have them, list them out and email them to me at talia at partyinmyplants.com and let me know. And while you're on the internet, you can also sign up for the Hearth Conference, which should be cozy and inspiring. A link to that is waiting for you at partyinmyplants.com slash 199. And remember above all else, to love yourself. Mm, Bear hug to yourself. The first thing on your gratitude list each day should be you. You're doing the best you can given the hand you're dealt. And if you're spending your bonus time popping this pod in your ears, then you're really going above and beyond the best you can. And I am mega proud of you. On that note, remember to live your life in the purple, my friend. Plant party in the purple.